this summer, you know, I uh, sort of had a, the preachings had a little bit of a theme that kind of been working on, uh, a bunch of things happened that kind of made it even more interesting, but uh, I started out on Memorial Day uh, Sunday, we talked about margin and adding margin to your life. So really, all of the things that I've been talking about have had some connection to that. You know, margin is like um, creating balance, creating health, dealing with stress, and recognizing the spiritual and the physical implication of all those things. And so uh, right in the middle of the summer, we did uh, a series, little series called Breath. Uh, and that whole breath was about... Um, Gaining breath, being breathed on, taking a breath uh, in, in your own life and thinking about yourself. Um, and then uh, last week and this week, I'm talking to you about two contrasting ideas. Um, one was, uh, we talked last week about worry. And, uh, you know, worry was, is, was not like a standalone sermon. That was a connection with this margin. It's really kind of the negative side of it, isn't it? The, how, the, how we let worry and struggle. So we spent time talking about that. I hope you worried a lot less this week uh, if you were in church last week. And that way we applied that to you. Um, and by the way, all these sermons are online. You can go back and kind of connect all this together. Because today I wanted to talk about uh, contentment. Uh, really almost in total contrast to worry. Worry and contentment and how those are connected uh, to this idea of margin. Now we're going to start with Philippians 4, uh, 12 and 13, really important scripture that kind of highlights uh, what we're talking about. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about contentment. You might be surprised some of these verses that we look at today. But we're going to start with uh, Philippians 4. So let's, uh, let's, say this, let's read this all together. It's on your outline. It's on, it'll be on the screen there uh, so you can, you can say that together with us. And we say the reference, then we re- repeat the verse, and then we say the reference again. All right? Ready? Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Oh, man, those are important verses. Uh, maybe you notice in the middle of that was the word learned, learned. Uh, I have learned the secret of being content. You know, contentment is something that you learn and relearn and relearn, right? It's not, it's not like a personality trait that you have. Like, it's not something that some people have and some people don't. Uh, you know, all of us have to learn contentment. It's a learned behavior. And God is quite the teacher, isn't he? (laughs) He wants to teach us contentment. Uh, And how do you think he teaches contentment? Well, if you think that he teaches you contentment by giving you everything you want, you'd be wrong. Uh, That would make you a brat, not not a person of contentment. So it doesn't work that way. Uh, He teaches us contentment, Paul says, by the ups and the downs of our life, whole situations that we find ourselves in that we can learn contentment through, not just through the the good or the bad, but all of that uh, together. Paul says that he learned uh, contentment. So I wanted to to highlight some things today, kind of uh, along the line of 
how contentment brings about transformation. Maybe you don't think about contentment being transforming. I hope at the end of this today, maybe you'd be thinking about that. How God wants to bring about change and transformation. Because what good is it for us to come and sit in this room and sing songs and talk about all this if God's not going to bring any change? Because this is not about you and me. This is about the Spirit of God, His Word. Remember, God breathed and breathing His Word into us and bringing about transformation. So five things. Number one, we are transformed when we understand the power of contentment, the power of contentment. Now, here's one thing I'm pretty sure about. A few minutes ago, when I said that we were going to be talking about contentment, some, some people in here, you know how those little radio buttons on you in your car and you just hit that thing and cut it off? Um, some of you just turned me off and said, oh, I don't want to learn about contentment. See, the, the truth of the matter is maybe you think Contentment is laziness. Contentment is getting nothing done. Um, the people who are most content are the people who don't get anything done in life. Uh, you you want to be that person of a little discontent. I mean, you want to be the kind of person who keeps driving forward and making a difference in the world. So the first thing we have to do is make sure that we understand what we're talking about to redefine contentment. Because if the definition that you have, if you're thinking about what I just described, that's not what the Bible is about. You know, many times we have to re-understand what the Bible means about certain ideas compared to maybe the way that we uh, think about them. So if you think that, and I wrote this, uh, contentment is not, contentment is not settling for less. Contentment is not settling for less. If you think that, that it's laziness or lack of drive or settling for less or just being, just whatever happens, whatever, whatever, then that is not contentment. Remember who wrote this, who God breathed into and wrote this down. It was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is one of the greatest people that have ever lived on the earth. Well, what he accomplished. I mean, this guy did more than hundreds of, of guys. I mean, he changed history. This was a man uh, following Christ. He said things like, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's calling. I mean, this is a guy who just kept on fighting, who kept running. Uh, he was the guy who wrote, I have learned contentment. So, I mean, if anybody in the Bible, Paul is not one of those settle for less guys, right? Would you at least agree with that? Uh, that's not what he's about. As a matter of fact, when he wrote this, he's in a Roman prison cell. I'm in a rotten, stinking Roman prison cell. And he says, in all of these circumstances, I have learned contentment. I'm not settling for less. In fact, if you think about what contentment really is, contentment is being able... I'll just give you some examples. First. Uh, contentment is being able to work and provide for your family without losing your family. Contentment is able to, to have goals and pursuits in your life without shoving everybody else out because you have such a focus on you and your own pursuits. You, get, you with me already? Contentment is achieving goals and accomplishing things in your life without giving up your health. You know, some people achieve great goals and they, they, they end up working themselves literally to death. 
You know, maybe they could have lived several more decades. What difference could they have made with that? Contentment means that you can have drive and pursuit without driving everybody around you crazy over it. So here's a Bible definition. Contentment is trusting God in every circumstance. And when I say every circumstance, I really mean any kind of circumstance. Any and every circumstance. Trusting God. Uh, so you, know, you could even take another step and say trusting God to provide and accomplish through us, not of my own purpose and will and strength, but his purpose, his strength in us. Ephesians 3.20 says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more. Would you say much, much more? Much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. So contentment doesn't mean get less or settle for less. It means the abundance that God wants to do in your life. You know, there are really three different ways to live. I gave you three different blanks right there. Uh, that you can, uh, you can live your life in kind of a give up mode, gear up mode, or look up mode. Give up first. Um, you know, it's, it's like when things aren't going well for you and you're struggling and you just kind of had it and you just say, and I hear people say this, well, I'm just ready to give up. You know, and so they're kind of just going through the motions, and they don't have very many dreams. You know, occasionally somebody around here, I find out, uh, has lost their job. Uh, you know, it's easy in those moments to want to give up and uh, um, to, you know, kind of spend, spend your life without goals and dreams and aspirations. So that's one way you can live your life. You can give up. Uh, you can also gear up. Gear up, uh, what I mean by that is, okay, I'm going to do this if it, has to, if it kills me. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you decide when you gear up, you put it all on yourself. You put it all on you that I'm going to get this done and I'm going to accomplish this. And, you know, the problem with that is once you decide that it's all on you, you can never stop. You can never stop. You can never be quiet. You, you don't slow down enough to, to think. Uh, you gear up. You're going to get it accomplished. You're, uh, no matter what happens with your family or the people around you. And then I, then I notice that people start trying to find ways to find that strength like pills, even uh, alcohol or other stuff that can keep them maintaining that level of strength. Sometimes it even becomes filled with angry, anger uh, that's accomplished. Uh, any of this hitting home? For any? How easy it is to be working at it in our own strength. So you can give up, you can gear up, or you can look up. Um, looking up. Realizing that God has so much more he wants to do in and through you. Uh, I don't know if you're streaming today, but uh, don't give up. Don't just gear up, but look up and see that God is at work in your life. Um, you, know, you can look up. You can accomplish things. You can find balance and margin in your life. Understanding the power, the transforming power of contentment. See, contentment is God-centered. Consentment. Contentment is God-powered uh, kind of life. So uh, you get that? Get it? Got it? Good. There we go. All right. Uh, transforming number two. We are transformed when we deal with the enemy of contentment. We deal with the enemy of contentment. I mean, if you're going to enjoy contentment, you've got to deal with the enemy of contentment. And there is a, an enemy. There is public enemy number one of contentment. And the enemy of contentment is comparison. 
comparison. That's the enemy. When I compare, I compare the contentment right out of my life. I compare the joy right out of my life. Galatians 6, 4, uh, I love this verse from the message, says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. You know, when I compare, I take away the joy of what God is doing in my life. Uh, I, I'll just give you a couple pictures. Uh, you, ever, you ever had a new car? And you got this new car, and everything's going good, and you're enjoying that, and you've had it for a little while, and then you notice your neighbor gets a better new car. And then your new car doesn't seem so great anymore. Uh, it doesn't look quite as good as it maybe it used to. Uh, the comparison, how, how about this? You, uh, you've gone to get ice cream, and you hadn't had, you've been on a diet, and you hadn't had ice cream in a while, and so you're trying to be good, and so you go in there, and you get one little scoop of ice cream, and, uh, but as you pay for it, and then you're walking out, you notice that there's this guy there with like four scoops with all the stuff on top of it, and he's like skinny, and he doesn't gain weight at anything, and it's like, what is up? And you can't even really enjoy your ice cream, right? <laughs> you spend money remodeling your house, and you do some things, and your yard looks great, and then your neighbor does something even better. It's like, what is... Uh, comparison will steal your joy. Comparison will take out the contentment. God is doing good things in your life. Amen? Amen. God is doing good things in your life. But if your focus, instead of on him, is on others and comparison, you get your eyes on somebody else. I mean, you're thrilled about your job. You love your job until you realize that so-and-so is getting paid more than you, and you work way harder than him or her. We compare, and the joy is taken away. Uh, comparison allows you to have hidden pride. Hidden pride. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, sometimes you just hear the pride. Somebody's just talking and talking, and you can just hear it. But a lot of times we sort of hide it in there. But it takes away our joy, our contentment. With comparison, what happens is we begin to compare our goals rather than having product, productive goals. You know, productive goals are a good thing, things that we can do, things that we're hoping to do. You know, but comparative goals are simply for the basis of big, bigger, and best. Uh, you know, they don't, it's like... Um, I mean, it's like deciding that you're going to sit down to a meal and you're going to eat more than this other person eats. I mean, what sense does that make? That's like a comparative goal. The danger of all that is that what other people have, what other people do, becomes the source of your happiness. What other people have rather than what you've been given. Uh, Jesus said, if you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to the birds. The birds. Compare yourself to the flowers. Look at the birds. They don't work. They don't worry. They're not anxious. You know, I have never seen a bird at the pharmacy for ulcer medicine. <laughs> There's never been a lily on a couch somewhere saying, I always wanted to be a rose. <laughs> I really did. No, 
Jesus giving us an example of the flower, the birds, because God made them. They rejoice in who they are because of their relationship with their creator, the one that made them. And that's what God wants for you and for me, is that we create margin and carefully understand who we are because we recognize what God is doing in us is exactly the way he created us to be. He wants to provide blessing and encouragement. Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at uh, all I want to do in their life. And remember that God is the giver. God does not base his blessings on you according to your worry. I think some people think that. If I worry more, he'll give me more. You know, if I just worry more about it, then he'll, he'll come through. Um, no, his blessings on your life are on the basis of his love for you. He loves you. He wants to invest in your life, and that's why he wants you to have this sense of contentment. One verse that's not on your outline is Hebrews 13.5. I think it'll be on the screen there. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. His blessings on us are not just on the basis of the things that we have, but even through the ups and the downs, God promises to be there with us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. One time in the Bible, uh, Jesus is asked a question that some people were asking related to comparison. And with this question, um, you know, I don't really like this story, honestly, but I'll tell it to you. Um, you know, Jesus tells this story about these guys that went to work out in the field. And the owner says, if you'll work for me today, uh, I'll pay you like $20. And so the guy says, sure, that'll be great. So about halfway through the day, the owner realizes they're not going to get done with the help that they have. So he goes out about noon and he gets some other guys to come and work. And so they, they start working. And then right near the end of the day, he thinks, I think we could just about get it done if we had just a few more workers. And so he goes, and in the last hour, he brings some others in uh, to work with them. So now it's payday. He's going to pay them at the end of the day. And so he pays the guys that came to work early in the morning, and he says, I agreed I was going to give you $20, and so he paid them $20. And then the guys that started at noon, they came up, and he said, uh, you know, you worked since noon, but I'm going to pay you $20. And then the guys that worked the last one hour of the day, he paid them $20. Does that upset you? It's not fair. We would say. Uh, but Jesus asked this incredible question. It was a question maybe that we have to think about in relationship to God and our attitude toward others and what God has given us. You see it right there? Jesus said, are you envious because I'm generous. No, it wasn't, it wasn't their money, was it? It was the owner's money. Are you envious because God is generous? Man, we can get caught up in that, right? We can get caught up in the fairness questions. And, um, you know, I, I wish it wasn't true, but sometimes that's hard. When you see that happening uh, around us, you know, that you know, you're upset because, I mean, my, my goodness, I'm doing everything. I'm more spiritual than them. I mean, they don't even go to church. Or, I mean, I, I got more education or experience. The Bible says that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the evil and on the good. Everybody. God sends rain on everybody. So, for my contentment's sake, I do not get caught up in comparison. Am I envious because God is generous? You know, you will be a miserable person if you live in comparison. A miserable person. It will suck the joy right out of you. Number three, 
uh, transformed by understanding the power of contentment, dealing with the enemy of contentment, which is comparison number three. Learn to be content with much or little. Learn to be content with much or little. You know, con contentment is not a matter of how much you have. It's being fulfilled wherever you are. That's what Paul says, that I learned contentment. If I didn't have anything or if I had everything, I'd be content in my circumstances. He said that means that you're content with much or you're content with little. We can, we can talk about both of those. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, I say it is better to be content with what little you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more, and that's like chasing the wind. So we get caught up. We get caught up in, in that kind of chase uh, around us. First uh, Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. You agree with that? And we take nothing out of it. You agree with that? Might as well. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. This, this verse reminds us that the contentment is, some, is in the basics of our life, not just the, the highs and the lows. He wants to work through your life in every circumstance. Uh, one man quoted said, for whom little is not enough, nothing's enough. If little's not enough, nothing's enough. I mean, if we can't be content uh, even with the little or the much, then maybe we never will be content. Content with the basic needs, content that I'm, everything, I mean, certainly, I mean, there might be people in this room struggling a little bit financially, but in the real scheme of thing, there's a bunch of rich people in this room right here. Let's just go to Belize and check it out. Go somewhere else around the world. Man, we're, we're a blessed bunch, aren't we? There's not a whole lot of people sitting in this room that have little. Maybe if you compare, you might feel that way. But we are blessed people. Called to be content when we have much and when we have little. Paul gives us both sides of that. And the problem is that He's reminding us that when you, when you get a few more things, sometimes those things cause us to trust in them rather than in God. That's, that's a lot what the Bible is trying to say. I mean, especially uh, you live in America and around us. Look at this verse from 1 Timothy 6. It says, tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud. And see, that's not the people that live in that big house that you think, you know, he's talking to us. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud. And not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That could have been our primary verse of the message right there. The enjoyment that he gives. There are some people who think that there's something wrong with people being blessed, like financially and economically. You know, there are people like that. But God, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that... that some people are blessed. Some people have more. He reminds us of that. But if he gives you more, it creates more responsibility. When you have more, you're supposed to be making a greater difference in the world because of the resources that he's provided for you. Can I get a little amen right there? That's, that's how it works. Um, you know, there, but some, many times what happens is when we get more, we start trusting in things more than we do with God. seems like when you have little... It, it forces you 
to kind of trust in God to meet your needs and provide for you. Uh, you, you know, I even, I even know that there are people that, that pray for God to give them more and more. I always thought that's the funniest thing. And, you know, God owns everything. God is the supplier. God has it all. And so I'm going to ask him for a measly few more dollars when he has eternity that's available for us. You know, I'm not, I'm not begging God for more. I'm learning to be content with whatever I have. Um, there's a prayer in Proverbs 30. It's, it's a prayer by this guy named Agar. And he, he was struggling with this concept. And he prays this prayer. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. It's in the Living Bible. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may become content without God. And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. That's quite a prayer, man. He's, he's realizing kind of the, the heart of this thing for him. He doesn't want to have too much, but he doesn't want to be tempted to not trust in God, and yet that God would provide for his needs. So that's uh, the, the three things that we've seen so far. Understand the power of contentment. Deal with the enemy of of comparison and learn to be content with much or little. Number four. Four is carefully choose. If you're going to experience the transforming power of contentment, carefully choose what you pursue. What you pursue. Uh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not money, but the love of money. And by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things and, what's that word? Pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Uh, there's that word pursue there. Uh, what, are you, what are you chasing? If you're chasing the wrong thing, the results can be bad. You're either frustrated and don't get it or you're in a disaster if you do get it, uh, recognizing that he's at work. So what are we chasing after? Uh, Timothy, uh, God says through Timothy, carefully choose what you pursue. If you just pursue money and things, frustration and disaster, but pursue righteousness, pursue a right relationship with God, pursue faith, pursue godliness, pursue love, pursue perseverance, chase after uh, those things. When you pursue things like that that last, you pursue a relationship with God, uh, you get a picture of that, Psalm 17, 5. But as for me and my contentment, don't you love this verse? He's like saying, uh, he's owning it. He says, as for me and my, you think, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's not what he said. Me and my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven, I will be satisfied, for I will see you face to face. Isn't that your dream? Isn't that your pursuit? To ultimately see God uh, face to face, not all the frustration that sometimes life brings, but we look toward God. We realize that there's going to come a day when we're going to meet him face to face. And the Bible says you are going to be fully satisfied, fully satisfied seeing him uh, face to face and knowing him. What are you chasing? What are you filling your life with? Is it easy to uh, fill your life with things that don't really matter in the long run? Or is there this pursuit of him? What's filling of your life? One more. Rely on, number five, rely on the strength of Christ. 
To experience the transformation of contentment, rely on the strength of Christ. Maybe you'll know a lot of people who put a lot of contentment in their wealth, but they never find it. Uh, you ever met rich people that were absolutely miserable? Because if, if their contentment was in those things, uh, because you can never have enough. You have to have the perfect circumstances, and then you got this contented life. There is no such thing as perfection here. You know, your family is never going to be perfect. Sorry about that. Your marriage is probably not going to be perfect. But can you have God's strength to help you be content, to be happy, to have joy? Contentment is not found in circumstances. It is found in Christ. And if we find that contentment in him, whatever the circumstances, i got to do what Paul says and rely on Christ. Now, there's a couple other blanks there. How do you rely on him? How do you rely on his strength? One is that you do what he says. Do what God says. So that means if he says to forgive, then we forgive. If he says to be patient in our circumstances, be patient even when you don't feel like being patient. He says use healing words instead of tearing down words with others. You decide, what kind of life am I going to live? If it's through his direction and I realize that he's at work in me, he is producing this transforming work of contentment as I rely on him. Uh, yeah, I, I was... Just thinking, yeah, well, why don't I trust God? Why don't I trust him in these areas of my life? Why don't I trust God when he says don't worry? Why don't I trust God when he says uh, go from here to there or minister to this person or that? If I just trust in God and rely on him because contentment is in Christ. So Philippians 4.13. Uh, it's one of our favorite verses, right? Let's read it together. Ready? I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Because he gives me strength. So you want to get out from the, the burden of uh, everything having to be perfect. Uh, if you're going to get out from under the burden of needing to have perfect circumstances or perfect finances, you can do it. Rely on God. Contentment is God's promise for us that we are learning together uh, what it means to be content, to have uh, joy in the life that he gives to us. Learning to be content isn't just settling for less. It's not just a personality trait. It is allowing God to be in control. When we learn the power of contentment, when we trust in God, when we recognize that we're not to be people of comparison, when we pursue and choose to pursue, not the frustration level of the things of the world around us, but contentment is really relying on God's strength to accomplish what concerns him. My prayer for you was, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his spirit. Uh, this little song says, uh, Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. What would that be? To know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. 
to grow as your disciple in the truth. This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I will run after you. Lead me on, I will run after you. Contentment is transforming. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, teaching us. Uh, it's incredible how many scriptures here that you have given us that really teach this whole lesson to us today. Lord, we thank you for it. And for some in this room, it's a, it's a thing they settled a long time ago. And their, their spirit is just saying yes. But there might be some in this room, Lord, that are still struggling, have highs and lows, trying to figure out when, when things are difficult or, or even how to not be filled with pride when things are going so good. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to follow Paul's example and to learn contentment and that we would be transformed in how we think about things, how, we, the, how joy is a part of our life as we seek you, your strength, relying on you, allowing us to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We pray, Lord, for contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.